Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. How's Christmas treating you? How's Christmas going? Is it going good? Is it going well? How many of you, and we're not going to shame you, we're not going to shame you just for fun. How many of you have not put up your Christmas tree? Okay, how many of you need help putting up your Christmas tree? Okay, all right. How many of you have not bought one single Christmas gift yet? Okay, all right, you still got time to buy me something, okay? So I'm going to keep reminding you. You know, isn't it amazing that when we think about Christmas, we have to think about an event that happened 2,000 years ago that continues to impact us today? Last week, I, I shared with you that Christmas is the most celebrated holiday festival event in the world. There's no other day outside of New Year's Day that is celebrated by more people throughout the world and at the same time. So we've been asking this question. What is it that makes Christmas such a big deal? Why is it so important? Why is it so special? And in short, that's why we did this series and we titled it, He. Because the reason Christmas is so special, the reason Christmas after 2,000 years continues to impact us today, and if the, Lord, if the Lord delays in coming, it will continue to impact us, is because of Jesus. You may have heard, and maybe, yes, it does sound cheesy, Jesus is the reason for the season, but that couldn't be more true. The reason Christmas is so important is because of Jesus. So what we're doing in this series is that we're looking under the hood and we're looking at what he did and we're looking at very deep theological truths of what he did that makes Christmas so important. So I hope, my hope is that number one, that Christmas would, would become, would, would get a deeper meaning for you. Let me tell you, I said this last week, nothing wrong with putting up a Christmas tree. Nothing wrong with getting uh, gifts as long as you don't get in debt, okay? If you got to get in debt to get Christmas gift, give yourself the gift of being debt free. I give you permission, okay? You can tell people, I'm broke, I'm sorry. I told Manolo, his Christmas gift for me was my friendship. He gets to have me another year, okay? And and I said, and if that's not enough, I could double it and I can give you the gift of my prayers. How about that, right? So some of you, you could do that too, okay? So nothing wrong with Christmas gift, nothing wrong with parties, nothing wrong with all that. Our life group is having our Christmas party tonight, nothing wrong. But if Christmas becomes just those things, you are on shaky ground. Christmas is much more meaningful, much more profound than that. In fact, when you understand the true meaning of Christmas, those things can be more appreciated, can be more enjoyed. Because even if you don't get the gift you want, you know that you got already the gift you need. Amen? 
so that's my desire that in this series that we would not just know what makes Christmas special, but that we would gain a deeper appreciation for Christmas. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for that food that I can already smell that's making me hungry, Lord. Father, I pray that your word would be food to our souls. Lord, you know what we need. You know what we're struggling with. You know what can refresh our mind and our hearts and give us new strength. And I believe that it is your word. Speak to us. Make it relevant to us. Break down every wall, every obstacle, every excuse, every distraction so that we may walk out of here, not just fool, but Lord, a different person. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So as we seek to answer what makes Christmas so special, what is the big deal with Christmas? Last week, we looked at the first reason Christmas is important. And you can fill this out in your outline. And if you missed that message, you can go back and watch it on YouTube or Facebook or listen to it on our podcast. But we said that the first reason Christmas is important is because God came to earth. He came to earth. And we said that God came to earth in the person of Jesus. And we looked at how the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. He is not God-like. He is not a God. He is fully God. In fact, look at what Colossians 2.9 says. It says, for Christ is not only God-like, he is what? God. Now, I told you last week that as we look at these truths, they're kind of like Lego building blocks and they're building on each other. Week four, you don't want to miss because on week four, we're going to look at the big reason why he came. And it's going to make a lot of sense when you understand these building blocks that number one, he is God. And today we're going to look at that second building block. The second reason Christmas is special is because he became human. Not only did God come to earth, not only did he come to earth, he became human. And that's, that's shocking because out of all the ways that God could have revealed himself, out of all the ways that God could have gone about dealing with us, he chose to become like one of us. Look at what Philippians 2 verses 5, 6, and 7 says right there in your outline. It says, Christ Jesus, though he was God, took the humble position of a slave and was born a what? A human being. Not a dog. Definitely not a cat, okay? Uh, As my grandpa used to say, los gatos son del diablo. The cats belong to the devil. I'm sorry. If you're a cat person, I'm joking around. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a what? A human being. When he appeared in what? Human form. And then look at what John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 and 14 says. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So the word became human and made his home among us. Take a moment to understand that. Not only did God come to earth, but he came and took on the form of a human being like you and me. God's greatest revelation 
was not through the stars, although he used stars. God's greatest revelation was not through nature, although nature pointed to his coming. God did not choose to reveal himself in a piece of a gingerbread or some kind of bambimbo, right? <laughs> he came to earth and he came into this world the same way you and I have come into this world by being born into it. And see, the second reason why Christmas is so important is that Jesus Christ, who is God, came down to earth on Christmas as a human. In theology, we call this doctrine the doctrine of incarnation. And incarnation is just an educated biblical word to talk about the fact that Jesus is God, but although he was God, he also became human. And it's almost uh, something that can help you understand this doctrine, this belief is thinking of a coin, a coin with two sides. It's one coin and on one side you have God who is divine, who is fully God. But on the other side, you have God who also became human and fully human. So as we look at this Great news that not only did God come to earth, but God came as a human being. I want us to understand this and I want us to get a better appreciation of what that means. So I want to share with you two foundational, profound truths about Jesus becoming human. And you can fill the first one out in your outline. Here's the first foundational truth. And that is that Jesus has two natures, God and man. Jesus has two natures, God and man. On that first Christmas, Jesus, who was the word, who was eternal, who is one person, took on a second nature. And Jesus has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. Another way to see this is that he's fully God and he's fully human. Now, you're really smart people. You have to be asking yourself, why? What was the whole point of Jesus being fully God and fully human? Well, you got to come on week four to know the answer to that. But I need you to know that God, that Jesus was 100% God. He was not 80% or 75 or one third of God. No, he is 100% God and he's also 100% human. Jesus has two natures. In fact, we don't pay much attention or we don't give much importance to the doctrine of the fact that Jesus became 100% human, but the New Testament teaches us that it is a very important belief. Because look at what John, uh, 2 John 7 says. It says, I say this, and it's right there in your outline, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the what? And the Antichrist. One of the beliefs or one of the strategies of the Antichrist is to deny that Jesus was 100% human. And again, I know you're wondering, but what's the big deal with him being human? Uh, once again, come back on week four and we're going to look at the answer. But we need to understand that Jesus was not only fully God, that Jesus is 100% human. Now, that Jesus is human needs to help us understand 
that Jesus wasn't always human. He was always God, but he wasn't always human. And this eternal God, about 2,000 years ago, not only came to earth, but took on our humanity. He became like one of us. He became like who he created. And that's the big deal about Christmas. That's why, that's why it's so, so important, not just that God came to earth, but how he came to earth. Now, you need to understand that when Jesus became human, he did not stop being God. Amen. Okay? He did not stop being God. That's why I'm telling you today, one of the foundational truths about the humanity of Jesus is that we need to understand that he has two natures. He is unique in that sense. When he became human, he did not leave his divinity. He left, as I said last week, his privileges, but not his nature. He did not stop being God. And Jesus did not give up any of his divine privileges. He took on something. I love how a theologian put it, and they'll put it up here in the screen. Look at how he worded it, and I thought it was perfect. Speaking about Jesus, he said, remaining what he was, God, he became what he was not, human. When Jesus became human, he did not stop being God. Now, it's important, it's important that we understand this because we also need to understand that Jesus didn't take on partial humanity. He didn't become some human-like. No, he became a full human. He hungered, he thirsted, he sweated, he got sleepy, he got tired. Jesus had every aspect of what it means to be a human except for the sinning aspects. Let me show you some of them that the Bible clearly teaches us about the humanity of Jesus. Number one, the Bible tells us that he had a human body. There was a group of people that taught that Jesus did not have a human body, that it appeared to be a human body, that that's why he was able to walk through walls and walk on water because he was not physical. He just gave off the appearance of being physical. But that is not true. Jesus had a full-blown physical body. Look at what Luke 24, 29 says. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that what? That I have. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm God. I'm the eternal God, but I also, I'm human. And if you don't believe me, touch me. Remember what he told Thomas? Because Thomas said, hey, unless I could see the holes in his hand and on his side, I won't believe. And Jesus appears to him. And what does he say? Hey, Thomas, come and touch. Jesus had a human body. I wonder if he got pimples. <laughs> he was human. I wonder what it was like when he got an upset stomach. I wonder if he tasted food that wasn't as good or, or if the fact that he was divine just gave it that magic touch and it always tasted as the best food in the world. But Jesus had a human body like you and I. Jesus also had a human mind. Look at what Luke 2.52 says. Uh, the Dr. Luke writing about Jesus says, Jesus grew strong in mind and in what? In body. Jesus had to learn. He was the eternal word. 
but he still had to grow. He still had to develop because he had a full human nature. Jesus also had a soul. Look at what Matthew 26, 38 says. He told him, my soul is crushed with what? With grief. To what extent? To the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with what? With me. Jesus was 100% human. We know he was born like you and I were born because Mary gave birth to him. And it wasn't a C-section. It was natural, right? Jesus got thirsty. Jesus got hungry. Remember that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy came and he tempted them with what? Hey, turn that stone into bread. Why? Because Jesus was hungry. You remember as he hung on the cross, he asked what? For water because he was what? Thirsty. Jesus, in his humanity, experienced an array of emotions. He knew what what sorrow was. He knew what wonder was. He knew what sadness was because he was 100% human. Now, there's something important that you need to distinguish or avoid. We need to avoid thinking that these two humanities mixed into some kind of weird thing. Both natures in Jesus remained in him, but they remained distinct. He was always God and he was always human. He was not this this 50-50. No, he was both, but distinct. They did not mix to make some mysterious third kind of nature. So the first foundational truth about Jesus becoming human is that he, he has two natures. Now, here's the second thing, and I think this is where many people are going to be wowed. You, you, you may even struggle with this, okay? The second foundational truth about Jesus becoming human, and you can fill this out in your outline, is that Jesus will be fully God and fully man forever. He will be fully God and fully man forever. See, for most of us, it is obvious that Jesus will be God forever, right? We think of him and we know that he's the son, part of the Trinity, that he's God. But what about his humanity? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus right now as we speak still holds on to his humanity? That he still has that second nature? He is still human today, and he will be so forever. Pastor, how can you say this? Well, number one, the Bible tells us that when he resurrected, he resurrected with what? His body. He resurrected physically, right? In fact, one of the big promises that we have is that our bodies will be resurrected like he resurrected, Do you remember when he gathered in the book of Acts, his disciples, before he ascended into heaven? He ascended in his physical body. In fact, the angel said, the same way you saw him go is the same way you're going to see him come back. But perhaps the biggest sign that that he has retained his physical body. Now, before I give you the verse, think about this thought. Why would Jesus resurrect in a physical body, remain in a physical body for for so many days just to go to heaven and get rid of it? He didn't. He's still God and he's still human. 
And look at what Philippians 3.21 tells us. Look at this. He says, speaking about the day, right? When the Lord returns, he says, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies. Like what? Like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, why is that important? Here's why that's important. Because when Jesus committed to you and me, he committed to us forever. He went all in and he's still all in. And Jesus took on a second nature for you and for me. And Jesus did not forsake that second nature after he resurrected. He remains human today. And one day, that glorified body that he has will be the one we have. In fact, look at these verses with me. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 42. It says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live what? Forever. We're going to have the same body that Jesus has. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not what? By human hands. Isn't it amazing? Why is Christmas so special? Buddha didn't do that. Allah didn't do that. No other God has done what Jesus has done for you and for me on Christmas. To leave his glory, to leave his privileges, to live, to leave his home and come not just to us, but to come to us in how we are as humans. Amen. So what are the implications of the fact that Jesus became human? Well, I want to give you three of them. We're going to look at the big reason, once again, why Jesus came. And we're going to look at that on week four. But throughout these weeks, I want to give you some benefits. I want to give you some bonuses to, to each of these building blocks. Last week, we said that the fact that God came to earth, there's some benefits. Today, I want to give you three benefits, three bonuses uh, that are for you and for me when we think about the fact that Jesus became human. Number one, and you can fill this out in your outline. He became human to live with us. He became human to live with us. Matthew 123, right there in your outlines, look at what it says. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Emmanuel, God with you. You know what this tells us? This tells us that he is a personal God, that he is an interested God, that you matter to him, that he's not this, this distant, unplugged, disconnected God that doesn't care about you. No, no, no. Not only does he know you, not only does he love you, but he wants to live with you. He wants to be with you. He is interested in you. And he became human to live with us. Now, 
It gets better, right? Because here's the thing. I mean, there's a saying in Spanish. I can't remember it, but something about, about, about food and, and family members after three days, they smell. And I, and I think the whole meaning behind that is that, that, that like, you know, after a while, people living with you, it gets annoying, right? Right? Why? Because when people live with you, you can really get to know who they are. And when Jesus came to live with us, listen to this. You ready for this? Jesus already knew who you were. He knows your feet smell. He knows you only shower two days a week. He knows you don't floss. He knows you don't wash the dishes that you use. I'm being funny, but, but you know what I'm talking about, right? He knows your secret sins. He knows your character flaws. He knows your anger problems. He knows your lack of trust. You ready for this? And he still chose to come live with you. That's why it's so amazing. Right? It's like, there's some family members we love and we're like, you can stay with us three days. After three days, we'll do a GoFundMe to rent you a hotel, right? But Jesus, when he became human, he came to live with us. Amen. And he knows us and he still chose us. That's amazing. So when the enemy whispers in your head that you're a mess, that God is angry at you, that God doesn't want nothing with you, tell him, yeah, you're right. You're right that he knows me, but you're wrong that he, because he does love me and wants to come be with me. Now, when you live with somebody, not only... Do you get to know, do they get to know you, but you get to know them. And for many of us, many of us, we think we know God because we've made up our own God. And we say stuff like, well, my God wouldn't do that. My God doesn't act like that. But Jesus came to reveal to us who God really is. In fact, look at what John 1:14 says. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, look at this, full of grace and truth. Let me stop right there. I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to say most of us, most of us falter to one of two sides. We're either on the grace side or we're on the truth side. Let me tell you what that means, okay? If you're on the gray side, well, I know that's a sin, but God still loves me. He understands. And you abuse his grace. Oh, I know Jesus said not to look at women like that, but he was human. He understands. So, so we, we, we kind of falter on the gray side. But there's others that falter on the truth side. And you're the Christian police. You like being on social media just to see what wrong others are doing. Right? You shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't hang out with them. You shouldn't go to that place. Don't buy Starbucks. Cancel your Disney Plus subscription. Right? And you're on the truth, 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 truth. Did you catch what John said about Jesus? That Jesus was the full expression, not just of grace. Not just of truth, but truth and grace. And that's the Jesus that we get to know, that we need to get to know. 
that Jesus says to the woman, woman, I don't condemn you. I'm not going to throw a stone at you. That's grace. But he also said to her, go and sin no more. Truth and grace. He became human to live with us. Number two, fill this out in your outline. The second benefit, the second bonus of Jesus becoming human is that he can empathize with us. He can empathize with us because Jesus took on humanity and he became 100% human. He can empathize with us. And you're probably saying, Pastor, I think you got it wrong. Isn't it sympathize? No, it's empathize. Let me tell you the difference. To sympathize with somebody is to say, I'm sorry you lost a loved one. I'm sorry you got in that car accident. I'm sorry you lost your job. To sympathize is to express concern, to express just sympathy for the misfortune. To empathize is to say, I'm hurting with you. I know what it's like to lose a job. I know what it's like to lose a mom. I know what it's like to go through a divorce. To empathize is not just an expression of concern, but it is the ability to feel what another person is feeling. None of us can complain that God doesn't know what we're going through. Because look at what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest... In this context, the high priest is Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to what? Sympathize? Empathize with our weaknesses. Do you see what Jesus identifies with? Do you see what we're told that God understands? Not your strengths, not your victories, but what? Your weaknesses, your pain. He says, but we have a high priest, but for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been what? Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He did not sin. See, Christmas, Christmas, one of my favorite songs is the most wonderful time of the year. But the truth is that for many people, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. Lorena was sharing with me this morning that last night she got a call from one of the families in our church that that, uh, in their family, one of their sons got shot in the chest and he passed away. This Christmas is not going to be the most wonderful time for this family. Sometimes we come to Christmas and it's not a joyful time because because we thought we would be married by by now and, and we're not. Because we thought we would be further in our marriage and we're not. Because we thought we would get over our struggle with depression or anxiety or whatever it is, and we haven't. And we feel joyless. Yes, Jesus came to give us joy on Christmas. But he also came to empathize with us and to say, I feel you. I know what you're going through. And let me tell you that when he says that, he says that from experience. Jesus knows what it's like to feel the weight of stress. Jesus knows what it's like to feel the sting of betrayal. Jesus knows what it's like to feel the darkness of grief. Jesus knows knows what it's like to feel rejection. Jesus can sympathize with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted by the enemy with no avail. Because he was. 
Do you know the beauty of Jesus? That not only can he empathize with us, but he can lead us to victory. Because he was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. He knew what it was like to be betrayed, but not take revenge. He knew what it was like to be hit and spit on, but yet not retaliate. He knew what it was like to have the enemy throw everything he's got at you and not cave in. So Christmas is special because when he became human, he's able to empathize with us and tell us, hey, I've been there. You know, I started thinking about that. Forgive me if I get a little emotional. And I, I've shared with you, I, I wrestle with God, right? And I hope you're okay with your pastor wrestling with God. I got my questions for him that I don't understand. And as I said a few weeks back, I know his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not his thoughts. And as I was thinking about this, about this point, I started thinking about my dad and I go, hey, how do, you, how do you empathize with me in my situation with the fact that my dad is not here? It's like, you didn't experience that. I wasn't even done saying that. When the Holy Spirit brought to mind as Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, Jesus felt the weight of our sin that disconnected him from the Father. Not his divine, his human nature. Oh man, that broke me. I say, yep, we have a Savior that has gone through what I've gone, through what you've gone, and can empathize with us. So I just want to tell you this Christmas, if this Christmas doesn't feel joyful, He gets it. He gets it. He understands you. He walks with you. He will not shame you. He will not beat you up. He will not give up on you. And if you hang on to him, he will lead you to life. Amen. Amen? Number three, and I'll finish with this. The third bonus, third benefit of Jesus becoming human is that he became human To defeat Satan for us. To defeat Satan for us. Now, now, look at what 1 John 3, 8 says. It says, the son of God came to destroy what? The works of the devil. Now, you got to go back to the beginning to understand this one. Right? When God created Adam and Eve, when he created the first human being and and its bride, the Bible says that he gave them all authority. He gave them dominion. And he said, rule over all creation. But what did Satan do? Satan got them to sin. Satan got them to fall. And when they sinned and they fell, all authority was given over to Satan. The Bible tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world. He has dominion. One day, Jesus will take that dominion back literally. But right now, Jesus rules in this world through you and through me. We are his kingdom. Right? But when Adam and sin, Adam and Eve sinned, the power was given over to Satan. And since the very beginning with Adam and Eve, the Satan has seen to destroy every single life that God has created. His goal has been to bring destruction, to bring death, to bring chaos, to bring hopelessness, to bring darkness. 
But Jesus, Jesus became human to infiltrate the enemy's territory and to be able to defeat him from within. And the one, listen, Satan also tried that with Jesus, right? He thought that if he could get Jesus on the cross, he would have victory. But what he thought was, 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 was his, his victory ended up being his defeat. Now listen, not only, not only did Jesus personally defeat Satan, but Jesus defeated Satan for you and for me. That's why he was able to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I came that you may have life and have it in abundance. Because what you need to know, and young people, hear me out, because this is, this, is, this, this is probably one of the biggest things going on in your life. Because when you're young, you are making decisions that are going to shape the rest of your life, that are going to shape your finances, that are going to shape your future, that are going to shape your relationships. And the enemy is always active, but he's probably more active when you're young. And here's what you need to know. The enemy has a plan against your life. And I'm not trying to scare you. And if you say, well, is that why I hear creaks in my, in my bathroom? And is that why the TV turns on? Probably. But his plans are bigger than that. He doesn't just want to scare you. He wants to swallow you. He wants to eat you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. And he has a plan. But Jesus came to defeat the works of the enemy for us. And listen, he had a plan for Moses. But it didn't involve that God would rescue Moses and use him to save and free his people. God had a plan for for Paul. But it didn't include that God would use him to to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The enemy had a plan for Daniel. And it didn't involve that God would protect him from the lions and raise him to be one of the rulers. And the enemy also has a plan for you. And his plan is maybe to kill your marriage. His plan is maybe to kill your body. His plan is maybe to kill your mind. But God came to change those plans. See, some of us, we're alive today, not because we're good looking and smart, but because he has been faithful. Some of us, we're still married today, not because we've done it right, but because he has been faithful. Some of us, we have a business today, not because we're excellent, but because God has been faithful. So I don't know what the enemy's trying to destroy in your life right now. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that we can be struck down, but we're not destroyed. The righteous may fall seven times, but he picks himself up every time. Why? Because Jesus came to defeat the works of the enemy in our life. So where's he fighting you? Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your spiritual life. You feel cold. You feel distant from God. You feel uninterested. Maybe it's with the relative. Maybe it's with your parents. I want to tell you today that he's a defeated foe. And that Jesus came to give us victory over our lives. So cling to Jesus, run to Jesus, call to Jesus, because the victory that you need is found in Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, 
I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.